0: Welcome to our bonus episode of the Love Fort Wayne podcast. We are fresh off of GLS where we had over 2,000 leaders across four sites in Northeast Indiana. Fun fact, we were the first and only dual language site in the United States. It was an amazing two days of learning, growing and loving our leaders. This episode was a part of our local session on day two. Listen in as we hear from leaders from across the city that represent the four pillars of Love Fort Wayne pastors, leaders, families, and schools.
1: This has been an incredible time so far. We've heard from so many world-class leaders, but we are so excited for the first time to get to do a local feature of our incredible leaders here in Fort Wayne. We're going to hear from people from the different pillars of Love Fort Wayne. So we'll have people from Loving Our Pastors, Leaders, Families, and School. So now let's welcome our leaders. Hi, we have Lindsay Hanna, who's the Director of Corporate Investment at Greater Fort Wayne, Inc., we have Dr. Mark Daniel, who's the Superintendent of Fort Wayne Community Schools. Jonathan Watley, founder and CEO of Building a Stronger Family, Ron Williams, who's the pastor of Pathway Community, and Dr. Joanne Alvarez, the director of diversity, equity, and belonging at Ivy Tech. And we have Iric Headley, who is the executive director of Fort Wayne United. So let's make them all feel welcome. Thank you guys for being here today. We are so blessed to have your leadership in our community and for you to spend time talking to us today about how you see the state of Fort Wayne in each of your areas and then some ways that we can all get involved and do something in our community. Um, So, Lindsay, I'm going to start with you. So you are a leader at Greater Fort Wayne, Inc. and you see a lot going on and I know that you're involved in a lot of the growth in Fort Wayne um, we have been downtown. We see the great things happening.
2: So exciting. <laughs> I
1: know, right? But can you tell us about Greater Fort Wayne in general? What's going
2: on outside of downtown? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you, Kelly. This is an honor to be up here with these community world changers. Um, but yes, at Greater Fort Wayne, Inc., we are the chamber, of the economic development engine of Allen County. And you're right. Downtown is thriving. I think we've all seen that as we walk around. But that's that's not it. as someone who raised you know as a child in rural uh, East Allen County in Hoagland. I don't know if any of you are from from that area, but um, and now living on on the north side of town where there's a ton of growth um, in the suburbs up there, we are just so excited about what's happening in all of Allen County, you know, specifically with New Haven, you know, the development that's taking place there, the growth in in Huntertown, the Southeast, you know, a $6 million investment now with Village Premier, um, you know, and then there's quality of life uh, projects that are taking place in Leo, Grable, Monroeville. So it's just taking um, everybody getting together and seeing that growth that's even spilling over now into communities as Auburn, Uh, you know, Huntington and Columbia City, Bluffton, we're just really excited about what's going on. That's awesome. I'm excited to hear about that, especially the growth that's happening, investment
1: that's happening in Southeast. So when we think about growth, um, sometimes you can have growing pains, right? So we have some barriers or some gaps in opportunity there. So can you talk to us about some places that you guys, you guys see
2: that we might feel and maybe some plans for that? Sure. Yeah. We're out. Our team is out meeting with, with businesses and the business community on a regular basis. And, and those pain points and those gaps, transportation is a big one right now. You know, talking with our local universities and companies that are doing talent recruitment, that international talent recruitment right now for, is impacting our transportation. They're coming over. They don't have driver's license you know, those are things that we don't think about. And, you know, is there walkability around from the housing to, you know, whether they're organizations or universities, you know, we also think of childcare, which I know is near and dear to your heart. It
1: definitely is.
2: (laughs) And, you know, that is really impacting our workforce. That is the number one um, pain point Gap that we're seeing is is the impact that it's having on our workforce. We need people, you know. Everyone's hiring, and if we don't have affordable, accessible childcare, it's really um, holding people back to getting jobs and housing. As we all know, that's the the affordability gap right now is is the biggest issue that we're seeing. And you know, as people are moving in from all over, you know, I know our healthcare systems, you know, hiring hundreds of nurses that are moving in, and you know, having that affordability um, gap. And then, lastly, education is is really um, a gap that we're seeing, specifically in the skilled trades. But I have to give props to my neighbor right here to my side, Dr. Daniel, at Fort Wayne Community Schools that just opened up Amp Lab. Um, you know, we have our local universities that are coming alongside and, and being innovated. Thank you, Lindsay. I Welcome. think, um, yeah, plug
1: for childcare, right? That's a conversation we all need to be having. And education definitely um, is a key part of that. And Dr. Daniel, you have kind of new still, I guess, through the pandemic leading Fort Wayne Community Schools. But I have been so excited to get to partner with you through Bridge of Grace and your leadership. You are infectious with your love for children and love for our schools. Um, but we know that your team is working so hard on the gaps of opportunity that exist everywhere for our students. Um, I know we've been focused on the Southeast side in particular. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of those gaps of opportunity that you guys see and what you're doing?
3: Well, one of the things we have found with our students is where are we with literacy? Huge gap. Numeracy is the second gap. And those are two very fundamental skill sets our students have to master. So we're doing some, I'll just say, a major shift. We've moved all Title I to pre-K through five, looking at how can we truly start our little ones younger and younger. So let's expand our our pre-K number of uh, classrooms. And then, of course, as you've just spoken, how do we also look at some private and public partnerships that can that could also expand those opportunities for our families and our, and our little ones, i.e., how do, you, how do you make sure that at least they're on the same playing field? Our kids aren't even in the stadium in some of them. So we gotta move them from outside the parking lot to at least they're sitting in the stadium and let's get them on the playing field. So that's, that's number one. So number two, you know, we talk about opportunities for our kids in the marketplace so what about this whole college and readiness piece? And quite frankly, we've given a lot of verbiage, but now let's truly move our kids to where they're ready. Ready for whatever their next step is after high school. I don't care whether it's going to a um, four-year university, two-year college, or, you know, it doesn't matter to me. Or are they going to enter right in the workforce? Our job is to make sure that, and we're working on this, what is that ideal graduate? And community, you need to be part of that definition because I will say also, it's going to take a community. It can't just be the school system. If we don't know one thing, we know that hasn't been terribly productive. I mean, it works for some kids, it works for me, I have a PhD. Yeah, I can play the role and then go through the system do do it really well. But I'm talking about what about those 50% of our high school graduates that fall off the table and we have no idea what they're doing. We need to embrace those kids. We need to nurture them and love them. And that's why I'm interested in love, love your schools and love Fort Wayne.
1: Yeah, and we are so thankful for your leadership and loving that piece. Before we move on, will you give us just one thing that you're excited about as you start school on Wednesday, I think? What's one thing? You can't limit yeah. Dr. Daniel, but I'm going to try. One thing. <laughs> yeah,
3: one thing. Good luck with that. But anyway, so very excited with the momentum and energy that we have at this point. Monday, we have 4,000 of our employees at 10 caps. Please pray for no rain. 10 caps in the morning, starting at 7 o'clock. Why? Why? We need to elevate the energy, the batteries that have been on low because of what they've gone through for this past two and a half years. We have to energize the very people that work with our kids. Teachers, administrative assistants, people who are helping the classrooms, principals. Those are the people that were the frontline workers, just like the people in the medical fields we've got to charge them I'm talking both physical as well as their mental and their emotional well-being I'm excited because we're gonna do that that's that's what's exciting this year
1: that's awesome Donovan you're gonna pray for no rain right <laughs> um, we want to turn to think about families now and we know Fort Wayne Community Fort Wayne Community serves so many families, but Jonathan, you guys at Building a Stronger Family have been doing just that, and you started your organization years ago. Can you tell us about why you started that organization?
4: So, 2015, February, we get a call from our daughter that our granddaughter committed suicide. The takeaway here is she has both parents in the house. She's in the choir. She's a good student but there was something missing. So before I continue the story, let me pause and address one thing about the family. Everybody in here knows how many people are in their family, but how many people in your family do you know? So our granddaughter suffered in silence. She was bullied online and and also social media and then ostracized because of cliques within her school. So we get a call that her younger sister found her hanging in the closet of her bedroom. I go down to the funeral and I'm watching Jasmine lay in the casket at 15 years old with no future. My wife's sitting next to me and and her younger sister comes up and and my wife's a nurse. And she says, Nana, you're a nurse, aren't you? And my wife says, yeah. She said, you can't wake Jasmine up. You can't go over there and wake her up. So in that moment of pain produced purpose. In that moment of pain, God nudged me and said, I need you. In that moment, I answered my calling to start building a stronger family. So when we launched, it was to focus on teenagers dealing with anxiety, depression, drugs, alcohol, suicide, low self-esteem. But then this thing called the pandemic hits. And then what I found that was happening to our families is there were so many strangers living in a household that wasn't a home. You're sleeping with them, you're waking up with them, but you're not knowing the people in your household. Why is suicide rate among our 18 and under up 40% in the past two years? What are the dynamics we're missing in the household and why don't we know the people that we call family? So we started looking at it from a strategic standpoint of doing parenting class, family enrichment, changing the conversation. We have so many houses, but we have so few homes. Our focus is to turn families back into not only living with them, knowing about them, and caring about them. How do I know this is true? We've got more mass shootings in the United States than we have a number of days. 60% of them are under 20 years old that are the shooters. These are somebody's babies that suffered in silence. So what happens when our world shuts down for 18 months, and you're in a house to, with people that you don't speak of or speak to on a regular basis. That pot can only boil for so long before it starts boiling over. And now you're witnessing it. So when you ask me, why did I start building a stronger family? Why didn't I start earlier?
1: Mm. Wow. It's always amazing to see somebody take such pain and transform that. Um, And I think... I've heard about some of the amazing stories that you guys have seen. Can you tell us a little bit about um, some of the great things that have come out of your pain?
4: So one of the things we do is a a reactive lifestyle program where we take people back to unprocessed trauma that has a negative impact on their life, but also bleeding into their family. So this one story in particular, we had a couple, they have a 12-year-old son, They had these arguments that got to an extremely violent level and they didn't understand why. And I'm going to show you how God pivots in a situation. So they come in and we first say, let's do conflict resolution and help with communication. And we notice that that wasn't the problem. So then we separate them and we start talking to the wife about how were you raised? And she says, well, when I was raised, my dad used to yell at my mom a lot. Then when they got a divorce, he yelled at his new wife and then her boyfriend yelled at my mom and it aggravated me to no end. We meet with the husband separately, identify that he had been sexually molested as a kid. He told his family and nobody listened. How does that bleed into the present? So now when they get in an argument, she's getting agitated because she grew up like that in her house. He's frustrated because when he was sexually molested, nobody listened. So he raises his voice out of anger. Sometimes the problem is adjacent to the problem. But having that conversation, that narrative to define what really was the problem, helped that family immensely. And, and just last month, they just had a brand new baby girl. Oh,
1: wow, that's incredible. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing. So important. Uh, pastor Ron, you uh, pastor a church here in Fort Wayne, and uh, I think oftentimes when we think about pastors, we think about perfection and people who have it all together, uh, but I think you'd say that probably isn't true. <laughs> um, can you tell us um, some some a story about yourself or somebody who's a pastor who has gone through a time of struggle?
5: I... I think all of all of us in this room, if I were to ask, how many, matter of fact, how many of you have ever gone through a period of struggle in your life? Yeah. So we're all on level ground here at that point. And, and I think that all of us as pastors, I mean, there's so many struggles that are out there. There's the, the wrestles that come with the context of at times feeling like a failure as a dad. Um, for those that are married, feeling as if their, their, their failure maybe as a, as, a, as, a, as a wife or a husband, because certainly we not only have men who are pastors, but women are pastors as well. Um, I know that for me, that certainly has come into play over the past few years at times of, of just really beginning to feel inadequate in doing what I'm doing, because the weight of responsibility feels even heavier than what it has before. And that creates a tremendous struggle in the sense of, am I, am I measuring up, not only in my own head, but am I able to really measure up within the context of this body that I'm attempting to, to lead? And, um, and I think because of just the complications of what's taken place over the past few years, it's added that sense of struggle, even more so to the life of so many pastors.
1: Yeah, and so what do you wish that your congregation or people knew about being a pastor and how we can best love you and come alongside pastors?
5: Well, let me say, first of all, I think Fort Wayne has, Fort Wayne Allen County has the best bunch of clergy pastor leaders than any other city in, the, in our country. And I really believe that. Yeah, I really do. I mean, it's, we just have such a unique group of individuals. And men and women who have been here a long time. And because longevity of being in a location, you have a, you have a sense of a real, a real attentiveness and awareness of what's going on within the context of our community. And I don't know of a pastor uh, in our city that doesn't want to be engaged in our city. It's not so much about what happens in the four walls they're building, but it's how does that leak its way out into our community as well. And I think that the most important, some of the things that are really important is, is that, that pastoring is, it's very complex, uh, you're you're attempting to lead your family. You're attempting to lead your organization, your church. You're attempting, if you have a staff, to lead your staff. And you're attempting to, to every week, uh, start out on Monday with a blank sheet of paper and create another term paper that you're going to give on Sunday that everybody's going to forget about by Monday morning. And, uh, and so that's always a wrestle as well. And you forget about it as well because you're moving on to the next one. But lives, their life can change. And I've always said this, my week can change in a phone call. And in that phone call, it can disrupt everything that was planned that week with my family. It can affect what I do as it relates to my day-to-days, and it puts me in the thrust of some very complicated, complex situations. I think a lot of people realize that. Um, pastor's life can be very complex. We're coming out of a season with COVID, and you think about it, we came out of a very a very difficult, turbulent election. We walked into covid We had George Floyd. We had an atmosphere whereby people felt like they could say what they wanted to say and it didn't matter how they said it. And then you shut the churches down and many were like, will they ever come back? And so there was this deep season of conflict that came in the life of these pastors. As a result, 56% of pastors deal with depression, discouragement, and loneliness. 29% last year contemplated leaving their churches and leaving the ministry to go to something else. And thousands did, and so we're living in a in a season where things are complicated, things are complex, things are very conflicted, and and we're not going out of that season. Ukraine's now come. We're going to walk into another election. I mean, it's just it's going to continue, continue, continue. And so I think as I thought about this question, and probably this will wrap up your next question too, is pray for your pastor. We've heard it said already. You know, pray for your pastor. Uh, protect your pastor. I mean, in the sense of protecting time, protecting to make certain that you're creating a leadership structure that is safe for him or her, to be him or herself in the midst of that, to know they're being protected and built up by their board. Um, encourage. That encouragement means so much in the midst of being discouraged. If you're going to send a letter to your pastor, ask the question is this helpful or hurtful? If it's hurtful, just don't send it. If it's helpful, Make sure it's helpful. And looking for those opportunities to do so. The other day, I was out at a restaurant, out at DeBrand's. Matter of fact, my oldest daughter having dessert after dinner. And we're having dessert. And this little girl walks up to me. I look over. She's standing there. She's got a she's got a DeBrand's a chocolate bar in her hand. Her mom's standing next to her. She said, I just want to thank you for being a good pastor. That was worth the week right there. You know, those are those moments of just encouragement that you don't really realize And then engage. Volunteerism volunteerism is at an odd time low. You have to use your gifts, use your talents, use your treasure, use your touch to engage full-heartedly in the life of that church because that's what's going to make it shine. As we heard earlier, the church is the hope of the world. The only way that hope is going to shine forth is for all of us to engage fully in the life of that church as well. And and I I just think those are a few things that are, are really helpful that people need to know about pastors and about what their pastors need.
1: That's really good. So, no mean notes after Sunday. We're going to send some kind notes on Sunday. That's good. (laughs) Um, Dr. Alvarez, we're so excited that you are here today. Um, In addition to what you do at Ivy Tech, you're also the director of the board for the Hispanic Leadership Coalition of Northeast Indiana. So, if you could tell us a little bit about uh, how the Hispanic community is growing and thriving in Fort Wayne right now.
6: Sure, thank you. Uh, so just for purposes of the uh, purposes of this conversation, um, I'm going to use the words Latino and Hispanic interchangeably. And so um, in talking about the Fort Wayne community here in Fort Wayne um, and looking at the April 1st, 2020 US Census, um, they have deemed that Fort Wayne, um, our Latino community is growing at a 9.1%. Um, in growth. And I'm sorry, nine percent in population. And that's roughly 24,200 Latinos in Fort Wayne. Yeah. And so where are we thriving? In the areas that I see that we are thriving, it's in the area of contribution. So we contribute as employees um, with a strong work ethic. We contribute in uh, businesses and um, entrepreneurship. Um, We're also contributors um, in post-secondary education. In fact, um, the state of Indiana is the 21st um, largest Latino population in the U.S. with Ivy Tech Community College leading in the number of associate degrees for Latino students. And so, yes, thank you. And so, and then we also um, contribute as community members. And so, an example of the Hispanic Leadership Coalition of Northeast Indiana, um, we have students, or we gave scholarships out since the year two thousand four to students regardless of citizenship. And so now, um, here we are in twenty twenty two, and um, with over one hundred and fifty scholarships given we have students who are now sitting on our board. So no longer students, right? They have all graduated. And so now they are giving back and contributing as board members. And so that is something to be proud of as we are growing in the number of organizations. Um, We are starting to come together a little bit better. And so looking at the Greater Fort Wayne Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, um, if you're looking at um, El Mexicano with Fernando Zapari, um, with... uh, We have another organization, Steve Corona, Latinos Count. And so bringing all of these organizations together and collaborating um, has made a huge difference.
1: Yeah, that's so exciting to hear that statistic about Ivy Tech uh, and the associate's degrees. That's incredible. Uh, What are ways that we as leaders in this room can begin to build bridges with our Hispanic neighbors in our community?
6: Um, So being good neighbors involves communication, it involves collaboration, conversation, and most importantly, listening. Um, a huge shout out, um, and I have their names here, um, specifically to Heidi York and Riley Hollandball from Fort Wayne Parks and Recreation um, with Riverfront Programming. They reached out to the Hispanic Leadership Coalition and they said, we want to have an awesome Day of the Day- Dead event. We want to have an awesome Um, community event where our Fort Wayne community can learn a little bit more about Dia de los Muertos and at the same time we want to make sure that we are representing correctly and so they reached out for communication, they reached out for collaboration um, so they can learn a little bit more about the culture and not misrepresent and so huge shout out and respect those are great neighbors right? and so when we are talking about our neighbors it's about um, reaching out reaching out asking questions but most importantly listening
1: it puts into practice some of those th- skills of empathy that we've heard throughout the, the two days we've been here Irik, I want to turn to you now um, you with your work through Fort Wayne United, Uh, You have been on the forefront of helping our community kind of talk through those tough conversations, get out of our comfort zones a little bit. Can you share with us the mission of Fort Wayne United?
7: Absolutely. And Kelly, thanks for allowing me this opportunity and thanks to everyone here. Uh, We all appreciate the opportunity to talk about our work and our missions. Um, And and truly, uh, most of these folks up here have become amazing partners of Fort Wayne United. Um, and the mission of Fort Wayne United is something that, that came from a call and response. So homicide is the leading cause of death in African-American males ages 10 to 24. Uh, used to be 14 to 24, but that number changed over the last few years. I've got a nine-year-old son and a 13-year-old son. To, so just the process that either one of my sons could be buried from their lives being taken is is very hard. I've got one son who had some respiratory issues and it was very scared to think about losing him during COVID, but the parents that bury their children um, from from violence is just a different layer of trauma, right? And so Fort Wayne United was created from uh, the administration of Tom Henry to really address that epidemic at that time, uh, the homicide epidemic. And so from that, um, I'm a pastor's son, And so back in my uh, my pastor son days, I was a part of a lot of my father's church uh, revivals where there was a thing called call and response. And and my father would say, amen, the church would say, Amen. amen, Donovan, amen, my brother. And so Fort Wayne United has really become a call and response organization. And so when young black males ask for a safe place to be Uh, during the the, the hours and the times that crime happens most, we launched late-night basketball. We brought that program from uh, two different cities that we really studied, and we partnered up with the YMCA. A woman by the name of Tabitha Irvin helped me to build that program, and then uh, Amos Norman from the YMCA just took it over and turned it into one of the most successful programs in the country. And when crime happens, where it happens, and who it happens most to, we were able to address that by having a program that engaged over 3,100 young black males in a matter of a couple years between the hours of eight to midnight, which is a huge deal, right? Um, Then our young black males asked for a, a, a space to safely have conversations with law enforcement after so many of those killings that our last speaker talked about. And so we created something called a live session where we put them in the room with the leadership of our Fort Wayne Police Department, our chiefs and deputy chiefs, and conversations that were supposed to be about an hour lasted five, I have plantar fasciitis. And so after four hours, I'm like, y'all could keep talking. I'm going home because my feet hurt. (laughs) But the conversations were amazing. We were able to really build a lot of bridges, right? And truly save lives from reducing conflict. Um, The same thing happened after the murder of George Floyd and during 2020, when a lot of our leaders would call, not only me, but many others like Mr. Watley here and so many other African-American leaders in our community would get calls and from our white brothers and sisters, the question was, what do we do? How do we do it? But I think the most important question that was asked that we had to address was, Eirik, I hear that, but is that safe? Am I safe? And they felt comfortable enough asking that question. And the answer was, I don't know. And so we had to create something that answered that question, right? We had to build a mechanism that allowed most of our leaders who were interested to learn in a safe environment that they can grow and journey with leaders alongside them who didn't look like them. So United Front was built. And so we started with um, a goal of approximately 20 organizations and we ended up with over 200. And our goal was to engage about 500 leaders and we ended up with 8,000. And what it showed, yeah, that's worth clapping, right? And what it showed was that our community is not as rigid as we thought, but it also sends a message that our community, most of our community, we believe, has a desire to learn, but they want to learn in a safe environment. And we can't beat people up for wanting to be in a safe environment, right? So United Front was created uh, to really engage those leaders from all different walks of life, to just create a, a space and an environment for them to learn and grow.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, The work that you guys are doing is absolutely incredible. And I know that you can head to your website to learn more, but we'll all be here after uh, this on our way out to lunch to talk more. And I think most of us would be willing to talk to you about anything we talked about today. But I just want to thank you guys for sharing your heart, your time, and for the leadership that you give to our community and how you've challenged us all to do something today. So thank you guys so very much. How amazing was it to hear from
0: local leaders across the greater Fort Wayne area? Everyone has the power to do something to love our city. Join us as we use the power of the collective to do something with our time, talent, and treasure to love Fort Wayne. We had 24 nonprofits that were featured at GLS. If you're feeling the tug to do something with your time, talent, and treasure, go to lovefortwayne.com and see our Do Something campaign. We hope you'll join us in loving the city. Remember, next month is Labor Day on September 5th, so the Love Fort Wayne podcast will drop on Tuesday, September 6th. We have some exciting announcements that you don't want to miss, so tune in on September 6th as we share some updates from Love Fort Wayne.